It will now be our privilege to hear from President Gordon B. Hinckley. President Hinckley was ordained and set apart as the 15th President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on the 12th of March, 1995. He had served for 14 years earlier as a counselor in the First Presidency and as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles for 20 years prior to that. President Hinckley earned a Bachelor of Arts degree at the University of Utah and, in addition to his church service, has been active in community and in business affairs. President Hinckley and his wife, Marjorie Pay Hinckley, are the parents of five children. Following President Hinckley's remarks, the benediction today will be offered by Stacy Carlson, a sophomore from Kenai, Alaska. Now, brothers and sisters, we know that each of you would love to have the opportunity to meet and shake hands with President Hinckley. However, due to his flight schedule, that will not be possible. We ask that you please remain seated while President Hinckley and others on the stand leave the auditorium. President Hinckley. I've taken note of that clock up on the scoreboard. Hard to see from here, but where you are seated, you can see it. So if I over go over the allotted time, give me a signal. <laughs> I'll try to stop. Wonderful to be with you. You great young people. Why, you look good. You beautiful girls, you handsome young men. Actually, you put on white shirts today. How come? <laughs> you look so good. I'm grateful for your presence and for all that you stand for, for decency and goodness and scholarship and work. Thank you for being what you are, my dear young friends. Thank you for being a credit to this great church of which you are members. God bless you as you go forward with your lives. I'm grateful for the presence here of members of the Kimball family, two of President Kimball's sons, and value them highly as friends and appreciate the effort they've made to be here. We've dedicated this morning the beautiful new building on this campus as the Kimball Building, the administrative hub of this great and beautiful campus. And now, having done that and being appreciative of the fact that it will carry his name, this great and good and wonderful friend who stood as a leader of this church over a very long period of time and gave of his very best to the work of moving this cause forward in all the earth. God bless his memory, and may we keep ever green in our memories and appreciation and respect for this dear man. Now we have the opportunity of meeting with you and speaking to you, and that's a great challenge. As Brother Riding has indicated, whether you realize it or not, you're a very fortunate group. It is your opportunity to attend this college, 
which is operated by the church of which most of you are members. You are proving to the entire world that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can walk hand in hand with secular learning. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of knowledge. May the friendships you establish here warm your hearts throughout your lives. May this always remain in your memories a pleasant and delightful season. Last Saturday and Sunday we were in Columbus, Ohio, dedicating a new and beautiful temple. The temple and the nearby Ward Chapel were filled for all of the six sessions. The Spirit of the Lord was present, and it was a great and significant occasion to dedicate the second temple in the history of the Church in the great state of Ohio. With me were my wife and my daughter, who was there to assist her mother. To our delight, a granddaughter and two of her children, our great-grandchildren, drove in from St. Louis, where they live. As I sat in the celestial room, I thought of my great-grandfather. He lived in Canada for a part of his life, but I did not know where until a year ago when I was in Ottawa, and a counselor at the state presidency told me he thought he had located my great-grandfather's burial place. We traveled about 50 miles south to a rural area near the U.S. border. <clears throat> there we visited a little burial place. There was a headstone, which now cannot be read. There were other stones in a straight row. My great-grandfather died of smallpox when an epidemic raged through that part of the country. He had been baptized into this church by the early missionaries who went into Canada. He had two little boys, my grandfather and his brother. Upon his death, their mother decided to move south to Ohio. They crossed the St. Lawrence River when it was frozen. From Ohio, they later moved to Springfield, Illinois. The mother died and the boys were left orphans. They'd been too young to be baptized. Now they were grown to young manhood. They walked from Springfield, Illinois, to Nauvoo. Here they met the prophet Joseph. They were baptized. They cast their lot with this church for the remainder of their lives. My grandfather, as a young man, started the long journey across the plains with his young wife, their baby daughter, and his brother-in-law. Somewhere out in the wilderness of that long journey, his wife sickened and died. His brother-in-law died the same day. He made crude coffins and buried them in a place of which we do not know. He picked up his baby and brought her to the valley of the Great Salt Lake. He became a man of some prominence. Brigham Young called him to go down and build Cove Fort. More than a century later, that fort still stands, now a popular tourist attraction. For us of his family, it is a memorial. He became the first president of the stake in Fillmore and Millard County. He gave most of his fortune to the establishment of the Millard Academy 
a church school which once existed there. Then came my father. He taught at BYU and was asked by the brethren to come to Salt Lake and establish what is today the LDS Business College. He too became a stake president and for years presided over the largest stake in the church with more than 15,000 members. I came along. I too was a stake president. Sister Hinckley and I have a son who is now a stake president. So we've had four in succession in our family who've served as stake presidents. We have five children. We have 25 grandchildren. We have 23 great-grandchildren. As I sat in the temple in Columbus, Ohio the other day, looking at my great-grandchildren, a peculiar thing happened to me. I suddenly realized that I stood midway with three generations with which I am familiar behind me and three generations ahead of me. My heart literally turned to my father's. My heart also turned to my posterity. I envisioned a chain of the generations. That chain goes back a very long way into the distant past of which we know so very little. It now reaches for three generations beyond me. I pictured that chain in my mind's eye, to date unbroken and shining and strong. I thought of the time when I was a boy and we lived on a farm in the summer. We had horses and plows and harrows and mowers and rakes and chains. We were familiar with chains. Later on, we got a tractor, and I recall the day when I put the chain around a tree that we wished to remove with the other end fastened to the tractor. I started slowly. The tree scarcely moved. I turned up the gas. The wheels ground into the earth. Then suddenly the chain snapped. I had not pulled the tree, but I had broken the chain. It had a weak link. I undid the two pieces from the tree and the tractor. I went to a hardware store and bought a repair link. With that link, I joined the two pieces of the chain together. We used that chain for years and years after that. But it was never the same where the repair link was that was. The link never quite fit. The adjoining links were crowded where the repair was made. It was always a misfit. It never looked right. Whenever I pulled with that chain after that, I watched the repair link. It never was what it should have been. Now I thought as I sat in the temple that I am a link joining all of the generations of the past and all of the generations of the future. All that I have of mind and body, of tissue and limb and joint and brain have come as an inheritance from those who were before me. And all that my posterity have has passed through me to them. I cannot afford to break that chain. My posterity cannot afford to break that chain. If that should happen, we could obtain a repair link 
but it would never be quite the same. I wish I had the eloquence of language to convey to you young people here today the feeling I had in the temple, the great overwhelming desire that neither I nor my posterity should ever break the chain of the generations of our family. To you I say with all of the energy of which I am capable, do not become a weak link in your, gener your chain of generations. You come to this world with a marvelous inheritance. You come of great men and women, of men of bravery and courage, of women of accomplishment and of tremendous faith. Never let them down. Never do anything which would weaken the chain of which you are a fundamental part. Should that happen, through repentance there might be repairs, but there will also be scars. There will still be regret. There will still be sorrow. You are loved by your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. You have an obligation toward them. Their hearts yearn to see you succeed, to see you move forward in the world doing your part to improve the society in which you live. My thoughts today go back to Absalom, the son of King David. He was a gifted young man, a very able young man. The scripture records that in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. But Absalom became ambitious. His pride got the best of him. He stepped over the line. He did foolish things. He even plotted to kill his father, King David. While following his ambition, he was riding one day upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. This was reported to Joab, the king's officer, that Absalom was hanging in the tree. Joab, aware that the young man conspired to kill his father, took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. Joab thought he was doing a favor to the king by saving him from the threats of his own son. And they took Absalom, according to the scripture, and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. Joab thought he had pleased the king. But when David heard of the death of his son, the scripture records that the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, <laughs> thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. O oh, Absalom, 
my son, my son. I think I can sense the overwhelming sorrow of King David as he grieved over the loss of the boy who had broken the link of the chain of his generations. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, would God I have died for thee, my son, my son. I knew well a man of great prominence, a man whose forebears were men and women of faith and great integrity. I heard him frequently pray that among his future generations there would be no empty chairs. I know today the grandson of that man. He became prideful and arrogant. He apostatized from the church. He took, he took his children with him into apostasy. He had broken the chain that his grandfather counted on with such great hope. It is interesting to read the first chapter of Matthew. It begins with this verse, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. It then gives the names of those who are links in the chain of generations from Abraham to the Savior of the world. It then states that all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. These count up to 42 generations. And insofar as I know, they constituted an unbroken chain that became the mortal foundation for the Son of God. He who was the only begotten of the Father in the flesh came through a lustrous line of great people. Two young women who will marry and become mothers and pass on the qualities of your generations. To you young men who will become fathers and pass on the lineage which is your greatest possession. I say, be true. Be true to the faith. Be true to the faith that your parents have cherished. Be true to the faith for which martyrs have perished. Be loyal to your great inheritance. Pass on in an unblemished fashion to those who come after you the great virtues of those who have preceded you. All of your heritage of body and mind have come from your forebears. Pass to those who will follow an unblemished inheritance and thus continue bright and strong the links of your generations. For this I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.